You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parenting Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you. Every week, they would carry him in, two under his arms, two under his feet, one steadying his midsection. They'd carry him in to the place where everybody was gathered up, and they would sit him in his normal seat right there in the middle. Every week, as they sang songs and read the scriptures aloud, as they talked and prayed for each other, uh, he would listen, sometimes his eyes closing, make you wonder if he had fallen asleep. But I mean, he was almost 100 years old, so what do you expect? And then something would be said that would cause him to kind of flutter or a smile would crease his mouth. And they would, no, no, he's still here. Every week at the end of the time together, someone would say, do you want to say anything to us? And, And every week he responded the same way. Little children love one another. It's funny After some time, the people began to think, like, isn't there something else? I mean, love one another is great, but surely somebody of his age has got more wisdom than that. Surely someone who had spent as much time with the master as, as he had, seen limbs grow, eyes open, food be multiplied, storms calmed, surely somebody like that would would have something more profound to say. Of course, someone who had stood at the cross and watched the crucifixion, someone who had looked in the face of Jesus and been told, you now care for my mother as if she's your own, surely that person would have more to say. I mean, you gotta imagine the person who was the fastest of all of his friends because he won the race to the tomb that first Easter morning and looked inside. Surely there was something else. And so I bet it was the the youngest, maybe the brashest, the one like Peter whose mouth worked faster than his brain, who finally said it. Hey, is there anything else? And the smile widened. And he said, this is our Lord's commandment. And if we do just this, it's enough. That old man uh, was a guy named John. He called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. My name's Jason. I'm a disciple that Jesus loves. 
And you, every single one of you, are a person that Jesus loves. I, I don't know if you're a disciple or not. That will remain to be seen as we go through today's message. But what I do know is this, that you, if you've been coming around Forest Hill for this summer, you may be feeling like that young person in the room 2,000 years ago. Are we still talking about love? Is there anything else? See, we've been going through this series called Are We There Yet? A letter that we've been looking at verse by verse that John wrote to the first century church to try to help them understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we've talked about love a lot. It's like we replay, rehash, retell. I'm trying to figure out new ways to say the same thing. But that's how important it is. And I don't have to actually convince you of how important it is. I don't think. Especially with a week like we just had in this country. When acts of violence and evil, pure hatred and terror rip through not just the headlines and the news channels, but through our minds and psyches. Like you don't need to hear why there is a need for more love, right? But it's not just a mass shooting. You have your own life with your own broken places and the, your own experiences and examples of how there's not enough love. Some of it's because your expectations haven't been met. Some is your anxiety and your fear. Some is because you were rejected last year at school and in two weeks you're going back and you're nervous to think that you might be rejected in that way again. Some of you, and, and you're, I'm just talking about the teachers right now who are going back. Some of you have come out of college and gotten your first job and you've moved here to Charlotte. You don't know anybody. And you're wondering if there's enough love to go around. Man, I don't have to convince you of that. What my aim is to do in the next few minutes is to convince you using God's own words that that love is available. And we're going to look at the table today, the, the communion table, where we will find the most beautiful and perfect demonstration of this kind of love. I'm going to show you over the next few minutes uh, in just a, a portion of John's passage how love is unexpected, how love is undeniable, how love is unafraid, and how love is unending. But before I do that, we got to make sure we're talking about the same kind of love. I told you a few weeks ago when we started this series, and it was a hint at that time that we're going to be talking a lot about love, uh, that we should have the same definition because we can have the same vocabularies but different dictionaries. And this is just true in all of life. You can say the same words but not mean the same thing, and you think you're communicating and you're not. So we're not talking about any old kind of love right now. We're talking about real love, not the squishy, emotional Valentine's Day card kind of stuff. I'm talking about gritty, muscular, raw, real love. And I gave you this definition to use for the series, and, and I hope that you would use it for the rest of your life. That love defined is this. Love is to will and to work for the good of someone else. Love is to consider and put effort and action into bringing about good for someone else. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. And so as we look at these verses today, I want you to think that way because everything begins and ends with love. Love has been the cause of it all from the very beginning, from before the beginning even. You know, the reason that we're here is because of love, right? The reason you are breathing is, is love. And I'm not talking about your parents. I'm talking about God's creation itself was about love. 
in a, a concept that's, that's hard for even the smartest people in the room to understand called the Trinity. We believe as followers of Jesus that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that for all of eternity, he's been in this love relationship between the two. That's exactly what is at the essence of who God is. And at some point, that love was so uncontainable that it spilled out and he wanted to just lavish it on more and more things. So he created. He created stars and rocks and mountains and lakes and squirrels and people. I don't understand the squirrel part. Like, I mean, I don't know why I just said squirrels, but I also don't understand why God made those things. But anyway, all of those creatures leading up to even humans, the crown of his creation were meant for him to be able to overflow love onto. And then humans, we rejected him. And then he started another love mission. It was called the incarnation, where God himself becomes a man and is born in a manger in Bethlehem that we're going to celebrate way faster than any of us are comfortable with right now. And Christmas is coming. But that was a love mission too, God in human flesh. And then he lived his whole life and goes to a cross. The crucifixion was love. And then Love is what kept him on the cross. Love is what got him out of the tomb. And love is what we are steadily and certainly marching towards the end of human history when we will join in heaven in the feast to end all feasts and a forever that starts over because of love. Love is everything. So John's going to tell us about this kind of love. And as he does, and as we do around here when we read the scripture, because we believe it has authority, I'm going to ask that if you're able, you would stand and read together. I'm going to have us read the first three verses of this passage. We're going to go through about 14 verses today, but I'm not going to make us read them all together at once. We'll break it up and kind of walk through them in the next few minutes. But this is the crux of it right here. John says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, Beloved... Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is God's word. You can be seated. Right before I started talking, we showed you a video of some clips from the last time we had a worship night. Um, I want you to, right now, either write it on your note sheet or take out your phone or whatever and put in August 21st, 7 o'clock, right here. We're going to do another one of those. And the reason that we do that, the reason that we gather like this every week is because that moment of a group of people who've tasted and experienced God's love responding back to him is so powerful that I think anything can happen when we're together like that. And you shouldn't miss out on it. The last one was incredible. And I want you to be here as part of that. And even if you would say, hey, I have never experienced that love. I don't know what you're talking about, but I want to. You come too. This is not just for insiders. But I want you to be here because that kind of love is what caused, as John just said, God to be manifest. See, in the Old Testament, like the old arrangement that God had with humans, um, God kind of lurked in the shadows. I mean, he had his moments, 10 commandments and all, uh, but 
often God was found behind the scenes, literally behind the curtain in the temple where he was believed to have resided, the Holy of Holies, like the center place where God lived. He was behind all the sacrifices, all the, the, the machinations the people had to go through to be okay with God for another trip around the sun, another year. So they would kill an animal and they would, that sacrifice would allow them then to be cool with God for 365 more days. And then God stayed behind the scenes. Because God's holiness, his beauty, his righteousness, his love, everything about him is so intense that at that point, it was impossible for us as humans, especially sinful humans, to be able to look at him face to face. We couldn't do that. Uh, Any of you old enough to have seen the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, okay. So you know what happens then whenever you come face to face with God, like our faces melt off. So he was protecting us staying behind the scenes. But in Jesus, John says, he decided to to put it all on display. He went public with love. That's what Jesus represents. When we look at him, we see God, we see love. And when we do, love is unexpected. Here's why. John says this in verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. All that propitiation word means is that God was okay, he was appeased, his wrath about our sin was over, never to be felt by him again. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, because of the face melting thing, But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, this is radical and surprising. Here's what's radical about the kind of love God showed. John says at the beginning, it's not because we loved him first that he chose to love us. That's not what makes this unexpected. It's the fact that we didn't want him, didn't like him, didn't love him. None of that. We weren't reciprocal. We didn't even care. And for rebels like that, for enemies like that, he decided to make the first move and to love us. And you know who he comes for? It's not the beautiful or the powerful or, or the, the wealthy or the lovable. That's not, that's not who he's after. He's after the strange and the broken and the imperfect and the unlovable. People like me and you. Because see, the point is not whether or not we are strange and broken and unlovable. It's whether we recognize it. Because every single one of us are. What makes us lovable has nothing to do with us. It's everything to do with God. God is love, John has said twice now. God is love. His very nature is to will and work for the good of his creation. He's been doing it all along. So that's what makes it unexpected. It's what catches us by surprise is that he would come for people like us. And then John says this, he says, love is being perfected as we love each other. Now that's weird to me, to be honest, because I believe, uh, and I get paid like for this, you know, like I believe that God is completely perfect in his whole, like there's nothing that he's lacking. So why does John say that somehow us loving each other perfects this love that God has? Well, The word perfected there doesn't mean like it was lacking something. What John is saying is that as we experience God's love and then give it out to other people, the the word would be maybe better translated, um, it reaches its purpose. Love is fulfilled. One way that you could 
interpreted or translated directly is that love is, it's finished or it's accomplished. Does that sound familiar? It is finished. It's the last words that Jesus screamed out with his final breath on a cross. Tetelestai, it's finished, it's accomplished, it's done. And yet somehow what he says is, as we take that and then love each other willfully for each other's good with submitting ourselves to one another, that somehow love reaches its highest point in that. That's, that's our call. That's our job. Because look, a church can be completely orthodox in what it believes. Like it can have all the truth. And it can be incredibly moral in the way that people behave. Good sin management. And it can still not love each other well or at all. We're not going to be satisfied with just thinking the right thing and keeping ourselves clean. We're going to love to the point that this church exhibits love that is perfected, that's fulfilled, that is accomplished. That's what John's talking about. See, you know this, I think, I hope, Jesus' death on that cross, it wasn't an accident. It's not like he, you know, made the wrong people mad and somehow got himself killed. It wasn't a mistake. It was an appointment. The story of God's love that began before the beginning led to that moment where he said, at this place, I will put on full display what it means to love people. And he screamed across the universe how much he was in love with you and me. It's crazy. It's unexpected. And, and part of what makes it unexpected is this fact that the formula that God had to use to allow us to be with him, you know, back in relationship, cool with God again. I, I don't get it. But here was the formula. He had to take the sin that, that existed in us and he had to totally wipe it out. And then he had to pay the penalty for it. And then uh, after all that was done, all that would be left was like righteousness, rightness, like good standing. Okay. So love somehow found a way to totally destroy the sin and pay the penalty and save the human. That's, that's crazy. This is how Paul says it happens in 2 Corinthians 5, um, 21. He says, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. He actually turned Jesus into sin itself so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, the fact that God became flesh shows us how much he wanted to be near to us. The fact that God became sin shows us how much he wanted to be near to us forever. This, this was the ultimate act of love. The cross is where God spoke the loudest and it was unexpected. Because it was unexpected, it was also undeniable. This is what John, or Romans 5.8 says. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do you know if somebody loves you? There are all kinds of you know, quizzes, online magazines you can go to that ask that question. How can I tell if he really loves me? There were movies made about it. Thank you, Whitney Houston. There are good songs made about it. How will I know? I mean, come on, some of you know that song. You should laugh louder than that. 
This question, how do I know about love, has been going on forever. You know how you know? You, love can only be determined by the action that it prompts. So somebody, especially those of you who are teenagers or, or just young adults, man, don't buy the, the simple fact that somebody tells you that they love you. Like, live in to see what they do in response to just saying it that shows, that proves that they love you. Love is always seeking your good, not their own. That's what God was up to. That's, that's how we know this is love. That's how this became undeniable. And John says this in verse 13. By this, that, that God becoming flesh and sending the son, we know that we abide in him or we're connected to him. We live with him. And he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. So whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God God abides, lives, connected to him and he and God. So, this is the undeniable part, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. When you see that cross, you can't deny it anymore. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. This is what makes it so undeniable because, and you know this to be true in life, the greatness of a gift is determined by three things. It's determined by um, the nature of the gift, it's determined by the purpose of the gift and the receiver of the gift. Or you could say it better maybe like this. A, a gift is great in as much as what it costs, what it does, and who gets it. So some of you are already planning to re-gift stuff you got this year at Christmas that's coming up soon. And as great as some of those things are gonna be, the label maker, you know Seinfeld, as great as some of those things are gonna be, they have nothing on this gift that God has given us. His own life, how, how precious, how valuable is that? Given to people who rejected him, and John says, so that we could have forever life. Here's the cost of this gift, the son of God. The purpose of this gift, to make us alive forever. To who does it come? People who think that we don't need him. Like, that's great. That is love. I was thinking about talking to my mom about it this week, about how do you illustrate that? And I was, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, in Charlotte right now, we've got this issue with affordable housing. Um, we're a fast-growing metropolitan area. There's just not enough affordable housing. And so we've got a, a pretty big issue with homelessness. And, uh, and some of the folks who are part of our church, our community are in that place. Well, one of uh, our friends at NOTA, the campus that I'm at pretty often, um, he found a homeless person that he met and wanted to kind of help. They made a relationship. And he's like, hey, he called me up and he's like, I rented him a room for the month um, at a hotel. I'm like, that is, that's incredible. That, what an act of love. That is willing and working for the good of someone else. Would you agree? So, not to diminish what he did, but imagine if instead of renting him a room, he said, um, hey, I want you to come stay in my room. Just move into my house. Take a room here. That, that's a different cost, isn't it? And then imagine if he said, you know, you know, in fact, don't even just stay in the room. Here are the keys. Like, you need shelter and I have it. Here's my house. You just take the house. Now, now we're starting to get to like our minds can't compute this, right? No, who, no one does that. And then imagine if the person that he gave that to wasn't just homeless, but it was his enemy. I mean, whatever enemy means to you, maybe it's a person of a different faith that's trying to commit acts of terror. Maybe it's a person of a different political persuasion, a different 
ethnic background, I don't know. But whatever you think of when you think of enemy, imagine doing that for that person. That is what God did in Christ. While we were still sinners, while we were still rebels, he died and gave his life for us. It's, it's undeniable. And then he asked us to give it away to any and everyone. And part of the problem is we get a little nervous about how it's going to be received, right? Or, or what people will think. But, but here's the next part. John says, you can do this because love is not just unexpected or undeniable. It's also unafraid. Here's what he says. Verse 17. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Some of you need to hear that today. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Thank you for the subtlety, John. But you know, when you get old, you like say whatever you want to say, you don't care. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he hasn't seen. You, you can't look in the face of a person, a real life human being that you can touch and smell and hug and hate them, but then say, oh yeah, but this, this God that I've never seen or experienced before, but I love that. John says, don't be stupid. You can't do this. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Two things. Love's not afraid. One, John says, because perfect love casts fear out. But secondly, I want to tell you, love is not afraid because of uh, what response we might get from someone we choose to give love to. Uh, John is not saying, don't hear this, he's not saying that our, what we should do is like muster up all our strength, kind of man up, woman up, cowgirl up, whatever it is that you say, like just work really hard, add love to the list of duties that you already do as a Christian. That's not what he's saying. He's actually, that's starting at the end point. What he says is, if we embrace, if we um, reflect on, if we taste and allow the love of God in the cross, in the Christ to come into our hearts, you can't help but it overflow to other people. So if you're having a difficult time loving others, don't try harder, try softer. Try allowing God and focusing on how he's loved you to fill you up. And then like a conduit, like, a, like an uh, electrical circuit that gets completed as uh, the electricity moves from source through to the end point, uh, you can't help it. You will overflow in love. You'll do what he's asking. But John is also saying it may be the inevitable result of God loving you, but it's not automatic. You have to actually begin intentionally offering love to other people, just like you do in a marriage. You know, you love a lot at the beginning, but over the course of your life, you've got to choose to keep putting into practice and action that love. Same thing here. And as we do, it pushes fear out of us. And John says the reason is because fear is about punishment. Now, humans by nature are fearful. We're afraid. I mean, even like the biggest guys in here, the big manly ones with really, some of you got great beards. Do you use beard oil? Is that the I don't know, whatever it is, but I can't do that. But even the most manly in here, we're afraid of stuff. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of being not seen with our full identity. We're afraid of, um, of being seen as not good enough for God because deep down we know that's true. 
We're afraid of everything. What has to happen is that the love of God has to come into a human and begin to push that fear out slowly, slowly, consistently over time. And then when it does, you're not afraid of death anymore because you're not gonna be punished. It would be like, this is not a real story, but it could be true. Like if, if you got arrested and you were going to court to face the judge and get your sentence and, and the result, you're thinking that whole day about the consequences that you may have to face, that's one kind of fear. But if you know, even if you had to do that, but you knew that your dad was the judge on the other side of the, the bench, you, you may not like the consequence, but you're not afraid because you know dad's going to deal with you in love, right? That's all John's saying. You don't have to be afraid of this anymore. We, we made these for everybody. They're on the way uh, on the tables as you walk out. I think it's really cool. It's a sticker. It looks like a California license plate and it says, buy, Felicia, uh, buy fear on it. And it's got the, the scripture reference. And it's just a reminder for you. If you struggle with fear about who you are or, or what your future is, if you struggle with anxiety, I'm not saying the sticker is the answer to all of your, your problems. But I will say this, all of your problems are at bottom a love problem. Every single one of us where we are still broken, it will be fixed one day when we experience fully the love of Christ for us. It drives all of it out. So take this, think about it this week, reflect on it. One reason that we get afraid sometimes, uh, I think is, especially as Christians, as the church, is we get afraid of the world, kind of how it views us, you know? And uh, we're in a cultural moment where, um, I, I mean, let's be honest, the culture doesn't like Christians a whole lot. You know, I mean, what we stand for, kind of an exclusive belief in Jesus, that, that's not cool right now. And, and it's shifting against us. And I want to say that especially if you're, you know, over the age of 40, you remember a day where we had power and influence as Christians. It was kind of like, it felt like we were the majority and now we're the minority, right? Don't be afraid of this. One reason I think that God allows the world to hate Christians is because in response to that hate, we can give love. It's an amazing opportunity that we have. So don't be scared. Because when we had power and influence, it might've been comfortable, but it wasn't necessarily strategic, you know? It wasn't accomplishing, fully reaching its zenith in our love. So... Love is unexpected, it's undeniable, it's unafraid. And finally, and this is the really good news for today, it's unending. Because of all that, Jesus, and what we're gonna do in just a second at the communion table, Jesus said, I wanna give you this love that's gonna last forever. And, and it's a simple invitation for all of us to simply trust that that death on a cross and that offer of life forever is enough, that that's all we need. You don't have to be something or try something. It's, it's trust and following him in that, right? He says, when we do that lasts forever. It, the night that he uh, had the Passover with his disciples right before he got killed, that night he's talking to them about what's going to happen. And he says, I want you to, to rehearse this meal and so we're still doing it 2,000 years later. But in that, he says in Matthew 26, as you do this, um, you're going to proclaim my death until I return. But here's what I want you to know. In verse 29, he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit. That means the wine 
fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. This is what he was doing. Jesus was, he was reminding us of the future. Excuse me while I step on this speaker. And that's kind of a weird way to say it, reminding us of the future. But, but he was telling us at that moment, look, it's not going to end with just your life on this side of eternity. Because one day I am going to drink this again. We're going to have a party. And at that feast, at that table is going to be an, an incredible expression and reminder of what you had to go through to get here. But I'm going to do it with you in my new kingdom. See, this love, if we choose to embrace it, it doesn't just flow out and affect people around us right now, but it affects us forever. I told you a few weeks ago, you've never met a mortal. Nobody you've ever met is mortal. And neither is the love that Jesus has said we can experience with him. It doesn't end. So as we come to this table, this is going to be a chance for you to... Um, to bring your hunger, your soul kind of hunger, and to be fed. It's a chance if you're tired in your spirit, like maybe you're a person who's you've been trying to love and it just hasn't been coming back and you're, you're ready to give up. Man, this is the place where you can get refilled and refueled. Because this picture, this picture, of the greatest love that we've ever seen. It's offered for you. Man, it makes me emotional because I remember very clearly what it feels like to be on the outside of this love. And that's how some of you feel today. So, what I want to do is offer this to you. This table is for people who are um, followers of Jesus. It, it, you don't have to be at a certain level of that, but you do have to have believed and say, I trust and I'm following him. It's, it's not about a denomination. It's just about people who want to be his disciple. And so it's open to any of you who that's true of. If it's not true for you today, I would just say um, in a minute, we're going to come up and we're going to take this and eat. And, and I want you to not feel any shame to not uh, take, but, but just reflect on the... Um, the love that's behind this and what I've just said and what you've read. We're going to sing a song to let you kind of think through these words. And I would just encourage you to consider if maybe today would be the day that you would choose to trust that it might be enough for you. Everything begins and ends with love, guys. Except that it doesn't end. So I'm going to ask our leaders to come forward while I pray. And then we're going to begin.